Okay. I, I like this one. Yep. <coughs> Some would call me old school. I'm more comfortable with this. I can do it. I can do it without it. Good morning. Well, let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we gather together and honor you. Set time aside to acknowledge that you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the God of gods. We just ask you to open our ears, open our eyes to see and hear what you have to say. And we acknowledge you and we choose to submit to you. In Jesus' name. appreciate that introduction, especially the part, sister, of being a man of integrity. I appreciate that. Well, we're going to talk about a little bit this morning about uh, who are you and what does God say about you. You know, I often get asked, who are you, where are you from, and what's your occupation? And we can answer those questions, but, you know, a bigger question is, what does God say about you? Because the enemies lied about you. You probably had maybe a spouse or a, a school teacher and in fact, I remember I went to high school in this town before some of you were born, and the main thing I remember about going to high school in Alliance, Nebraska, was the, the guidance counselor before I left town called us all in, looked over my grades, he looked up at me and he says, if you study real hard, you might get some C's in college. Woo! That's what I remember for four years in this town. You know, I don't know if that was reverse psychology or whether he really meant that, but that's the part that stuck. And some of us are still operating under things that we've heard years ago, but what does God say about you? And we're going to turn over to 2 Corinthians 5.17. We need to realize that how you see yourself is often how other people treat you. There's people that are running around that often say, you know, the guy is a day, a day late and a dollar short. And if he gets to repeating that about himself, everywhere he turns, there's trouble, there's failure, there's discouragement. But we, we need to be saying what God says, that I'm a child of God, I'm a heavenite, I'm just passing through. And I don't have a problem disturbing people at times, and they want to know, where are you from? And one of my common answers is, I'm from heaven, and I'm just a passing through here, and my citizenship is in heaven. That bothers some people. But, uh, I was even in New York City some time back, Long Island, and a man asked me, who are you and where are you from? And I told him that. I says, I'm, I'm from heaven, and I'm just passing through. And afterwards, a man took me aside, and he says, do you know who that was that was out talking to you? I, I have no idea. He says, that was one of the most important, powerful, influential lawyers in New York City. I said, praise God, I'm glad I didn't have any idea who that guy was, or I might have answered differently. But anyway... It's important how you see yourself, what God sees about you, and often you get treated that way. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 here says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And the thing you need to see in there is that you're a new creation. You know, the scripture talks about how you might have been this habit, this vice, this sexual preference, etc., etc. But today, you're a, you're a saint. You're a child of God. You need to look in the mirror. You know, God even says you're a prototype. You know what a prototype is? That's the first one. Now, when man makes a prototype in a new car or a ship, he takes it out and tries it out and comes back and makes some modifications and improvements. But when God made you as a prototype, no improvement was needed. 
perfect and complete in the name and through the blood of Jesus Christ the first time out. A prototype. I don't know if you've been thinking about yourself that way, but that's what God says about you. We got a, all kinds of a uh, industry of making things bigger on your body and cutting things off and making things smaller, etc. But God's looking at your heart. He's looking at your heart. Where the scripture says that uh, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Well, in John 1.12, it says that you become a child or children of God, depending on your translation. Those who believe and receive Jesus. See, the whole hinge point here is not about self-improvement, but it's about where are you at with Jesus. You know, I appreciated that on the uh, communion a while ago. If you know Jesus personally, you're welcome to serve it. Come to this table. See, that's the thing we have in common. That's the, somebody says, what kind of people are there in the world? Well, there's saved people, and there's uh, the rest of them that are yet to be saved. Saved people and those that need to be saved. So we're either on one side of the fence or the other. But once you come to know Jesus, I mean, we need revelation. You know, that, that little poster over in the Sunday school class, Terry? I, I could preach for a week off, just off that board of who are you. If we get a revelation of who we are, you know, we have a tendency to measure ourselves by education, by gender, by income level, occupation, all kinds of things. But God's looking at the heart. He says you're a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. You know, sometimes you get ready to pray and you, you think, well, I need the chaplain, Terry, to pray for me or the pastor. And that's fine. But how about look in the mirror? If you're bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus, your prayer is as powerful as anybody in town. Maybe you need to ask God if there's anything that's interrupting between you and God, and if he shows you something, take care of it. But if he doesn't show you anything, I don't spend a lot of time in inter inter checking, looking inside. Just go on and pray. Well, in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 and 20, let's turn over to that one. I don't know if you realize it, but the Scripture says that the Spirit of God dwells in you. You know, we need some revelation as to what God says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Well, the Scripture says that we're bought and paid for through the blood of Jesus, but it says the Spirit of God dwells in you, in you, on you, and with you. Sometimes when I travel, people ask me, how many is going on that next plane trip with you? Well, I says, right now there's four of us scheduled, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and me. I didn't have to buy a plane ticket for those other three. They let them on for free, no charge. And if you'd like to come with me, there's five. So we, that all sounds good, but we need some revelation. Father, Son, Holy Spirit's in you, taking up residency. He's on you, he's in you, and he's with you. Woo! You ought to get to jumping and dancing to realize who you are. You know, I've had people tell me that I, when I heard your name, I knew I didn't like you. Wow. Okay. And others have said, when I, once I saw you, I knew I didn't like you. Well, that's interesting. I haven't said anything ugly or mean about you. I haven't even thought anything ugly about you. But see, if the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit's in you and on you and with you, the Spirit that's on some of these people, they don't like the holiness and the righteousness. You don't realize it, but there's a countenance change that takes place. There's something happens in your eyes when you know Jesus and you're walking with him and you've got a clear conscience. 
And those that are hiding or pretending, the hypocrisy that we talked about in Sunday school class this morning, they're not comfortable. They don't like you. You get around some people and you, you, if you watch their eyes, they look down below your chin, they look over the top of your head, they look to the right, they look to the left, they're looking everywhere, but they're looking at you. What's that all about? Probably hiding something. Probably hiding something. You need to know who you are. Well, the scripture says you're a saint in Philippians chapter 1 and, and 1 Corinthians 1, a saint. And I know there's some religious systems that think you have to have a history and there were some miracles done and on and on before you can be called a saint. But the scripture says if you're born again and Jesus is in your heart, you're already a saint. I don't know if anybody's been calling you a saint today or not, but that's what God says about you. See, when you figure out and get revelation who you are in Christ, you ought to just pull your head up just a little bit higher. A little bit higher. You realize how you think about yourself has an effect often on how you dress, how you conduct yourself, how you walk, and whether or not you look people in the eye. Yeah. Some people are uncomfortable. I tell them people that, that God's... I have people walk up to me and ask me uh, about my boots and to see if they're shined. I've had other people check the room where I was staying, and you know the man makes his bed. I've had other men walk up to me and ask me, is that a 20X cowboy hat you wear? And I know what the questions are ahead of time, Terry. So I have the 20X hat, and I have the top-of-the-line boots, on and on, because I know those questions are coming. But that's not how God sees us. You may be well-dressed, but that's, God's looking for a pure heart and a clear conscience before God and before man. You get that clear conscience, you can lift your head right up. You realize everybody around you needs something? Most of them know they've missed something in life, and they will say so. And some of them think it's a new pickup, a new house, a new spouse, more money. And the truth is, they're honest in one part, they've missed something, but what they need is Jesus. They need to know him personally, and those of us that know him personally, we need a new encounter with him, a refreshing, as it talks about in Acts. Sometimes we get stale and forget where I've come from and what I've got, and on and on. And if you got joy and peace and your name is recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life, there ought to be a little jump in your step and a little shine. You know, you walk with the king and you're rejoicing with him. People will ask you, where have you been? What happened to you? I've had people ask me, well, how did you get into cocaine so early in the morning? And others have asked, you got a new woman in your life? You come into some money? What's going on? See, they can tell a difference, but the world doesn't know other thing other than often Saxon money. One or the other or both, that's what puts a joy and, and a shine in your eye. And I tell, oh, no, no, I've been out of bed for a little longer than you have, boys. And I've been talking with Jesus and what I was reading. And I prayed with my wife before I come to work this morning. And so you're kind of getting in on the middle of the day. You're not getting in on the first part of the day. I, I've been at this for a while, rejoicing and giving thanks and praising the king. So we're going to talk a little bit this morning about who God says you are and the authority that you have, and then a little bit at the end, maybe the bigger part, on how you and I ought to respond and how we ought to cooperate and how we need to tap in to what God has already done. 
Because it's already done. You know, there used to be a bumper sticker around that says that Jesus said it, and I believe it, and that settles it. And that's a nice bumper sticker. But Jesus said it, and whether you believe it or not, I'm sorry. You're not the kingpin around here. He said it, and it's true whether you believe it or whether you don't. And he's going to do a work in this town, and you can choose to cooperate and participate and be a part of it, or you can be on the sideline, maybe watching. You know, there's people in the country today that don't, do not know what God is doing. They think he's asleep on vacation or dead. And we're, we're living in an exciting time with the politics the way they are, the economy the way it is, a new president coming up, on and on. We're in exciting days. And for this congregation, you have a new pastor coming. Woo! Do you realize spiritually that this is a gold mine? This town. I went to high school here years ago. I pastored the churches. Terry said, this is a gold mine. That railroad is bringing people in here from all over the country. And other occupations as well. There's people coming and going. We don't realize, but you're in one of these landlocked states where there's still many people that believe the Bible, believe it's true, believe Jesus is the Son of God. Heaven is real and hell is hot, and people are going one place or the other. You get in the water states in this country, and there's people that don't know John 3.16. They haven't heard the reference. They don't know the quote. And somebody was telling me the other day about a young person who had never been in church in their life. Wasn't there for a funeral. A wedding, never been in a church. We are, we're in for exciting days. So with a new pastor coming on board, you need to pitch in. And uh, Joshua told uh, God one time, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So it's an opportunity to step forward if you haven't in the past. And if you have, why, volunteer more. Be a part of what God is doing. Well, in uh, Colossians 3.12, it says, one version says that we're elect, and another one says that we're chosen ones. And I think another version says we're peculiar. And sometimes people, the, the word peculiar is not a, an attribute or a positive word today, but it means you're unique. You're unique. In Hebrews it says that we're to be looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You know, in driving class they say wherever you put your eyes is often where you drive your car or your truck. So keep your eyes on Jesus. It's easy to get on the, the down things that's going on. You need to remember that you're still in one of the most wonderful countries in the world. And the evidence that I'll give you for that is they're coming in by the thousands every day. Walking in, sneaking through the wire, swimming across the river, knowing that some people have drowned. They're doing everything they possibly can to get into this country. This is a wonderful place. It's a free place. You know, we can look at the things that could be improved here, but we need to be grateful for the things that we have. Well, Isaiah 43, I want to turn over to that one. Over here in Isaiah 43, verse 1, talks about how that uh, we've been bought and paid for, but then God has something else to say about us. There's some outlandish stuff. I don't know if you've been reading through your Bible once a year or not, or what your program is, but you know, there's three parts to a person. There's a physical part, that's where you eat hamburgers, that's one of my favorite foods, hamburger, and you have a soul, mind, will, and emotion, and you have a spirit, and many of us have not been feeding our spirit, and we wonder why life's going tough, 
You need to be in the Word of God and let the Spirit be fed. But over here in Isaiah 43 and 1, But now thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Bought, paid for, formed, and redeemed. And then verse 4, Isaiah 43 and 4, Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Precious. Precious. Have you been seeing yourself as precious? Woo! Precious. Valuable. You know, if, if there was a fire coming or a flood coming and you had five minutes, what would you grab out of your house? Well, if you have children, I'm sure you'd grab your children. Maybe you'd grab a family picture or your purse. If I had time, I'd grab my Bible. That's precious. And God uses that word about you. And it doesn't matter how many times you failed. It's not about how many times, you know, I work as a chaplain in a, in a jail, and I tell them it's not about how many times you've been to jail. It's not about whether or not you've had an abortion. It's not about whether you've been convicted as a felon. None of those things are the real relevant issue. Where are you at with Jesus today, at this moment? If you'll confess your sin, he says he is faithful and just to forgive you of all sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. One of my favorite words, Terry, is the word expunge. And when I'm around the jail crowd, they may not all be well educated, but you know, every one of them guys in there knows the word expunge. Every one of them knows what that word means. And they want their, their record expunged of all their illegal activity. But God says, I'll expunge not only your illegal activity, the things you did that the sheriff didn't know about and he didn't come for you. He'll erase all of that. And you can be pure, holy, and righteous, white as snow. Some of you might think, that's so good, that can't even be true. But it is. It is. Take responsibility, own it, and name it, and he says that he will forgive you. And then you can be precious and honorable in his sight. You recognize who you are, puts a smile on your face. People will ask, where have you been? You know, I've even been asked, is this contagious? Sometimes I speak in other churches and places where, and get, where there's not as much freedom as there is in a place like this. You know, I, I feel complete freedom here to jump and dance and raise my hand and praise the Lord and, and tap my foot. And I've gotten in places and that's not all those things are done all across town. There's some places, if just this right here, that whole crowd will start, who in the world is that guy? What, what's he up to? What's he doing in here? You know, doesn't he know you're supposed to be quiet and on and on like a funeral? Woo! I've had, got in some places and people have asked, is this contagious? Can other people get this? Why, it most certainly is. It's all through Jesus and having a clear conscience, recognizing who you are, and not carrying guilt and baggage. Okay, you've sinned. Okay, you did a whole bunch of stupid, crazy stuff. Okay, what'd you do about it? You know, once in a while I meet people and they say, my name is John, and you know I'm, and they start naming their foolishness, where they've been and what they've done and what they're addicted to. I'm really not interested in that. I'm more interested in where are you at with Jesus at this moment. Okay, you did all that crazy stuff. I did crazy stuff too. I did different stuff than you did. But God wants to set us free from all of that. Well, in Ephesians 2 and 15 says you're one new man. 
Luke 10, 20 says that your name is written in heaven. You know, if you know that your name is written in heaven and your sins are forgiven, you ought to be rejoicing, jumping, and dancing. We don't know what to do with that. Is that normal? Is that okay? You know, another Bible verse says you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. And sometimes I ask people, do you love yourself? And people, yeah. It's got to start squirming. I'm not sure that's even good. But, you know, if I don't have the right view of myself, my neighbor doesn't have a chance. How about love yourself the way God made you? Your race, your gender, your education level, or you, whatever part of town you grew up in. On, on and on. That, that's not what it's all about. God wants you to know who you are in Christ. A child of God, a king of kings. Ezekiel 36 and 26 says you get a new heart and a new spirit. Wow, talk about good news. I'm in a different generation than some of the rest of you. It's amazing how many of my friends are getting new knees and new hips. And I have a new shoulder even. And the, the surgeon said, whatever you did before, you'll do again. So I took him literally. I went right out and did hard manual labor. And one day I had to call him up after two and a half years and said, I think there's a problem. So I had to redo it again. So I'm getting new parts. And you can get heart replacement and surgery. But what we really need is spiritual surgery. That's what we really need. It's, it's amazing to get a new knee or a new hip or whatever. But how about a new heart? A new spirit? A new start! Free and clean as if the things in the past had never, forget, uh, never happened. Throw the weight off. Throw the weight off. I went to Walmart the other day, and I have a habit of going in when I get there and stick my arm in that crazy thing to see how my blood pressure is and on and on. And, and I didn't realize that, that this was a new program. It wasn't just my blood pressure. It asked me 40 questions about do you smoke and do you drink and how many days a week do you eat breakfast and, just on and on and on and on. And when it got all done, I went and weighed me. He said, pull your feet up off the floor. You know, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. They weighed me and everything. When it all got done, it says, you are zero years younger than your age. You're 71 years old, and you are 71 according to our test. Well, I was expecting to be younger. And he said, you're the same age. But I am young. You know, the Bible says that God creates the fruit of the lips. And so I get around some folks to talk about how old they are and how troubled they are. You know, the Bible says that you're healed, healthy, victorious, triumphant. I often confess I hear the voice of God quickly, precisely, and I'm quick to obey. You know, if God's going to create the things I'm saying, I ought to be saying some wonderful things. Instead of complaining about the president and the economy and this and that and the taxes. Woo! There's plenty of people already reporting all that stuff. You and I don't need to volunteer for that. We can volunteer to say what God says. And God's creating that. I have people asking, but when are you going to retire? That's a question I get asked almost every day. Well, retire? What do I want to retire for? I enjoy and love what I'm doing. Well, Philippians 3.20 says that you become a citizen of heaven. I don't know if it's a new thought or not, but you know where you're from, they often call you. See, if you're a resident of Nebraska, they call you a, a Nebraskan. 
If you're a citizen of heaven, what are you? A heavenite. A heavenite. Now, isn't that a thought? You know, I get to travel some, and I get in other countries. You know, I have never bought a house in Mexico or Israel or any other country. I never bought a car. I never rented an apartment because I'm just passing through. It might bother some of us, but I'm just passing through. I don't have to do what everything else, the whole culture around me is doing. I don't have to dress like them. I don't have to act like them. You know, in Hebrews it says, keep your eyes on Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. I don't know what's going on with you, but I trust that I'm taking some weight off of you and getting your eyes off of yourself. Colossians 1.22 says that you're holy, unblameable, and unreprovable. See, this is through the blood of Jesus. When God looks down at you and I, he looks through Jesus. You know, the Bible talks about in Job that the devil and God were having a discussion one day. And God was bragging on Job. The devil, he's pointing out all the things wrong and the fallacies. And if you take away his stuff, he won't serve you anymore. The apostle Peter, the scripture says that he was, the devil wanted to sift him as wheat. But Jesus prayed for him. See, what if Jesus is doing all those things for you and I? Well, let's change gears a little bit, and let's just talk about a few things about how I can respond and how I can tap in to what God has already done. You know, in Luke 10, verse 19, it says that the born-again man has all authority over all the power of the enemy. I couldn't tell you how many times I've heard people say, the devil made me do it due to the circumstances or under the circumstances. What in the world are you doing under the circumstances? Are you a turkey walking around on the ground, or are you an eagle flying over the top? The Bible says you're an eagle. So what are you doing under the circumstances? You're in the wrong place. And if the devil made you do it, what did you listen to him for? Run him out. Say no in the name of Jesus, and due to the blood of Jesus, I don't do that habit, that vice. I don't look at them ugly things anymore. I used to do that, but get away from me. And if he comes back in five minutes, give it to him again. In the name of Jesus, because of the blood of Jesus, I'm bought and paid for. I'm not addicted to that. Whatever it is, wrong thinking, wrong practices. I have all authority over all the power of the enemy. I had a man one time look at me and he said, you are one dangerous man. I was telling him how God had answered some prayer. You know, and I don't know what his motive was, but I was complimented by that when he said, you are one dangerous dude. Well, you and I are dangerous if we know the authority we have. It's not about me, my education. It's not how long I've lived in the county. You know, we measure ourselves all kinds of ways. I got stuck in the snow up north a couple years ago, and a man came by, and I told him I'd been here for 10 years or something, and he said, we've been here for six generations. Okay, does that make you more important than me just because I haven't been here for 120 years? Well, we measure ourselves in all kinds of ways. Well, in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, pray about everything. 1 Peter 5 says to cast all your anxieties on him. Let's turn over to Philippians chapter 4. That's a powerful passage there, Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. See, it's one thing to know these truths. 
It's another thing, how do I get in on it? How do I participate? How do I make it happen? It's like I heard about a man some time back. And must have been way out in the woods. And hadn't been out much. And he was talking about cutting down trees. And the hardware store man said, I got something here that will really help you. And he sold him a chainsaw. But he didn't give him a demonstration of how to run it. And the guy came back in a couple of weeks and says, I don't want it. It's, it's not as good. I, I do better by hand and with an axe. What? And the hardware store man pulled the choke and pulled it. He jumped back. That thing started running and that chain started moving. That guy had been out there rubbing that chainsaw against a tree. And he said, this thing don't, it don't work. I don't, I don't like it. Well, I wonder how many of us spiritually are taking some of the things in the Word of God, but we've not tapped in. We don't know how to make it work. And say, well, I don't know. I've had people tell me this, this Jesus stuff don't work. Well, maybe you need to get over to Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Most of us know how to grumble and complain and find fault. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. I get to asking people, did you have a bed to sleep in last night? Was there any hot water when you got up this morning? Did you have any breakfast? Is there a car sitting in the driveway? Is there any gasoline in the tank? Yeah. You got $20 in your pocket? Yeah. What in the world are you complaining about? You're wealthier than most people in the world. Your housing is better. You have a vehicle. You have a few dollars in your pocket. You get to looking at the town banker or, or some wealthy man and you think you're poor. You're not poor. No, you're wealthy. Be, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Wow. Peace. 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 One of my daughters worked in a drugstore up north here several years back in a town where people typically work 60 to 100 hours a week. That's, that's the typical. And there's some working more than 100 and she said one of the number one selling things in the store was sleeping pills. Can you imagine working 60, 80 hours a week and you have to have sleeping pills to get to sleep? There's something wrong. There's something wrong. Not, they don't have peace. Well, Ecclesiastes 12 and 13 says that we need to fear God and he keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Revelations 5, 12 and 13 says we need to be about the worshiping of God. Tell him you love him. You know, other parts of the Bible talk about jumping and dancing and praising the Lord. I read a book some years back about King David, and I don't remember much about the book, except at the back it said that the man that will dance before the Lord, God will give bread for the nations. I still don't have a full understanding of what that might mean, but that grabbed me. If God does something for the man that will dance, count me in. And he said, you might want to not dance in public, but you could dance at the back of the church. And they even said, if you're on an airplane, you could get over in the restroom. And I'm dancing for you, Jesus. See, he, when we worship him and ascribe worth to him and tell him that I love him, something happens. What happens is the presence of God comes on you. Whether you're in the air or out on the farm or on the railroad or wherever you are doing the dishes, the presence of God shows up in the place. 
And so many of us think I need to go somewhere, listen to some music, sit under some prophetical man, and all those things are good and have a time and a place. But the truth is, if I'll worship him and praise him and tell him I love him, do a little shouting. You know, another verse says to sing. I'm lacking in that department. I just tell Jesus I'm singing for you. Probably don't carry a tune at all. But there's another verse that says to make a loud noise, and I do pretty good at that. I can make a loud noise. But when I'm worshiping him, the presence of God shows up. Wherever I'm at and whatever I'm doing. I work in a shop up north. There's times that I just bell her out, whether there's anybody in the shop or not. Jesus! Jesus! Changes the atmosphere. I crawl out of them semi-trucks I've been working on them, and, sometimes, and I do the same thing in a motel room. Leave the presence of God in this place so the next man that crawls in here and sits here, oh, the next man that comes and rents this motel room tomorrow night, oh, he got more than he bargained for. See, we have authority that we don't know of. And Psalms 100 talks about shouting, singing, being thankful, and praising the Lord. So instead of being under the circumstances or due to the circumstances or the economy or the politics, if you and I will look unto Jesus and recognize who we are, bought and paid for, a heavenite just passing through, woo! you'll get asked, is this contagious? Where have you been? What drug are you on? Too many of us looking down walking around like a spiritual turkey when you ought to be a spiritual eagle. You're in a gold mine. People come into Alliance, Nebraska from all over the country to work in this place. The oil field where I'm at is the same thing. Up north we've got people from 50 states and 30-some countries coming to the United States. In many of those places the gospel is not preached freely or aggressively. And you and I have an opportunity. And sometimes we say, well, I don't know too much Bible. But you know, the Bible says you're to be a witness. A witness is just report what I've seen. I come to know Jesus. I prayed. Now I have peace. I can sleep through the night. I love reading my Bible now. Can I tell you about the prayer that God answered this week? That's not tough. You don't have to be a well-educated, scholarly person. Know 100 verses in the Bible to just report Somebody said you can't make a horse drink water. You can't force him, but you could put some salt in his oats and make him thirsty. How about if God wants you and I to create some thirst spiritually? That people would say, you know, maybe I need to take another look at that. Maybe I need to get back to that church that I grew up in. Maybe I, maybe I should get my Bible out. Yeah. I'm going to pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for speaking to us. Stir us up. There's people around us that need the Lord. And if I'll worship you, praise you, do a little jumping and dancing and shouting, that I can experience your presence. And we just thank you that you're on the throne. You're the King of Kings. In Jesus' name, amen.